Hey, welcome to episode 5 of Building the Future podcast. I'm your host, Dr. This episode is brought to you by The Longer Practice. Are you about to start a new business or running an existing one? You need a lawyer. I have seen a number of startups unable to raise money or miss out on a lucrative deal because they fail legal due diligence. You don't want that to happen to you. This is why you need to have a startup-focused lawyer. The ones that understand your early also and are willing to partner with you now. The Longer Practice is a legal firm that specializes in working with early-stage startups in Africa. When I came to Nigeria in 2015, they were recommended by everyone as the lawyers that understand startups. Since then, I've used their service and so are many other startups, including the likes of Paystack, Callbase, Pass.ng, Techabar, Printivo, WeCyclers, and many others. To get a free consultation as a listener of this podcast, fill out the form on podcast.thelongerpractice.com. That is podcast.thelongep. R-A-C-T-I-C-E dot com and one of their lawyers will get in touch with you. You can also find a link on this podcast show note. So let's start. The next African story will be written by Africans. Meet the people using technology, innovation and entrepreneurship to craft this new narrative. This is Building the Future Podcast with your host, Dalton. Coming up today on Building the Future. It's like you have a restaurant. If your restaurant is going to work, you're gonna use, you know it's working. Like, you don't need to do any demographics. If people are coming in and people are liking them, you're going to know. You know, and if your restaurant is not working, you're going to know your restaurant isn't working. So, once I started it, I could see, like, people needed this stuff and nobody was out there fulfilling it. My guest today is Mark Essien. Mark is a founder and CEO of Hotels.ng, an online booking platform in Nigeria. With over 8,000 hotels on the platform, Hotels.ng is one of the largest online aggregators in Sub-Saharan Africa. Hotels.ng raised over $1.2 million from the likes of SPAC, EcoVC, and Omedia Network. Mark grew up in Nigeria, went on to study in Germany in his teenage years, where he learned how to code, became a freelance software engineer, and started his first startup. Mark is one of the most impressive founders I know. When I was planning to come to Nigeria in 2015, to get involved in the tech ecosystem. Mark dominated a lot of my research as someone I should meet. Since then, we've met several times and he was a speaker at the iGrowth Africa Summit 2016 that I hosted in Lagos. It is my delight to have him on the show today to talk about how he's building the African future. So Mark, welcome to Building the Future. Uh, thank you very much. So one of the few things I've heard about you is that you're a hacker. You're one of the uh, founders that is tech and that's basically know how to code and build your stuff. So my first question to you is, you know how to build stuff. Why Hotels.ng? You could build any other startup. Why Hotels.ng? I think that um, as an engineer, you should build what people actually want at the time that they want it. And there have been a lot of African startups building different solutions, and a lot of them have died. There are very few startups from three, four years ago that are still around. And we are one of the few that has made it because I think right from the start, we built like they, there was an analysis process that showed that people needed this at this particular point in time. And, uh, you know, coming from the technology software angle, it was more important to me that the thing that I build has real impact instead of just building it for vanity's sake. So what led you to hotels? Um, 
Uh, so I, I looked at the ecosystem, kind of like what works in emerging markets, and e-commerce was the first thing. It was very clear that e-commerce would work. But the second thing that works then is travel. And in the travel space, there was already Wakana that had flights very, very well covered, but the hotel space was completely So open. Wakana was before hotels today? Yeah, absolutely. Wakana comes from 2009. Right. And we came 2013. Right. So you, you looked at the industry, you look at... E-commerce is big in the, in the continent, and travel is massive as well. So, okay, what can I build to, to help in that space? Is that how you come to your discovery well, of the idea? No, not really. So what I looked at is other emerging markets okay. because there are, there are some categories that develop before other markets, particularly in the online space. Mm-hmm. There are things that are only possible when your internet space is really mature and really big. Mm-hmm. And I looked like what have, what are the things that have worked in early stages in other uh, emerging markets or when the US was just getting the internet, what were the industries that worked? Mm-hmm. And e-commerce was always the first thing that works, mm-hmm. but then the second thing that works then is travel. You know, so from there, I, okay, I figure e-commerce is pretty well covered with Jumia and Conga, but you know, there's still an opportunity in travel and then I picked a sub-segment of the travel industry. Mm-hmm. So that's interesting the way you came to your idea discovery, that like you look at what is, what is happening in other industry, what has worked with the internet and revolution and, and, and um, online um, startup businesses, and then what can work in Africa? Did you look deeply into the demographics and internet penetration and usage before you did that, or did you just say, okay, this, this worked there and then it's going to work here because of the trajectory? I didn't look into any of that. So if, let's say, I had started it and it hadn't shown any traction at all, I would have abandoned it and looked for something else. So I think the best way to find out if something will work is look at the fundamentals. Like, are the fundamentals right for it? And then test it. Mm-hmm. And if it works, then it works. If it doesn't work, scrap and So did you do something. some tests when you... Yeah, yeah, yeah. How so did you validate hotels or TNG? The site ran for one full year before we actually launched. What do you mean by that? You, you had I actually bought, yes, I bought the do- hotels.com.ng. I bought this domain in January 2012. Yeah, and I started listing hotels right from then. You know, and I wasn't even in Nigeria. I was doing my master's in, in Germany at the time. And already people, there was traffic and people were making requests and so on. So you just listed hotels. So you, you, you built a site, you listed some hotels without their knowledge, mm-hmm. and uh, you put up availability there for people to be able to book. No, but people couldn't actually book. It was just like list of hotels oh. in Nigeria. You know, so more like a directory, but we're getting traffic. And then once I put a form there, like I think it was labeled like request or something, people started requesting those rooms. So it was clear that it would work. Oh, that's interesting. So you, because I feel a lot of founders just build something and they just expect, okay, somebody's going to buy this or we expect people to just, um, I need money to build it better. And you just built a site and you were looking for customer validation via traffic yeah, yeah. without any functionality you yes. knew that this is not the future of this this is going to be bigger than this but you just be something without any functionality and you were testing whether people are coming there yeah, absolutely. how did people discover hotels that come to Tenji then so the customers primarily through search so for hotels it's, um, most of the traffic generally comes like a lot of traffic even for the big size just comes through people searching online but for us that was the initial traction method just SEO SEO. Mm-hmm. So you put some some SEO magic in there, yeah. and then you were expect. Yeah. So what was the main thing you were looking for to validate that? Apart from the traffic, or is it number of traffic or the number of requests? Or where they? You know, I, I don't really believe in all that. Like I think. 
it's like you have a restaurant. If your restaurant is going to work, you're gonna, you, you know it's working. Like you don't need to do any demographics. If mm-hmm. people are coming in and people are liking the food, mm-hmm. you're going to know. Mm-hmm. You know, and if your restaurant is not working, you're going to know your restaurant mm-hmm. isn't working. So once I started it, I could see like people needed this stuff and nobody was out there fulfilling it. So I knew it would work. Like I didn't need any analysis anymore mm-hmm. because it was quite obvious. So were you before the uh, rocket internet version came? Yeah, yeah. So Rocket Internet came like after we had done PR and we're in the media and so on. Then the Nigerian Rocket Internet guys start, decided to start their own. Oh, interesting. So you validated this. You launched it. You started it somehow. And then Rocket Internet heard about it. Or, or maybe they've been thinking about it before. And then they launched this as mm-hmm. well. I read somewhere that you once asked them to invest in your business. Yeah. So when I started it at the time that it was still a website with listings. So I knew that this was a validated idea. I knew it would work. But you know, I didn't know much about how to raise funding and so on, but I realized that you will need some kind of money in order to go and sign hotels and take pictures and all that stuff. So there were, I started pitching people, and uh, I pitched Rocket Internet. They never responded. But, you know, interestingly, I actually pitched EcoVC in that year. And EcoVC responded in 2012 and said, you know what, like when he's in Nigeria, we should meet up and discuss. I met Jason Joko, and then he invested. And then, you know, two years down the line, I remet EcoVC, and then they did a $500,000 investment. That's interesting. So uh, I'll still get to that point about the story of how you got um, EcoVC and you get Jason Joko. But I'm interested in that, your early stage uh, customer validation. Um, so you, you had this uh, hunch that e-commerce, oh, oh no, you looked at the trajectory in the, in the, developing, in the develop, developed market. It's okay. E-commerce work, travel works, therefore, with Africans going online, this will work as well. Mm-hmm. And you build a very simple website. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had much functionality. Actually, like you're MVP, right? Mm-hmm. And you build it and you say, let me see where that traffic is coming there. And you said, I see traffic. Yeah. And then you put a form there. People were filling the form. And it's, there were people that really wanted this product. Mm-hmm. What did you do next after that, before you raised money? So once I saw that there was going to be traction, I, I did... I followed two paths then. I knew that I was going to have to raise money because it's just impossible. Without raising money, there's no way you can sign the hotels. So I started a process then of getting into the tech industry, befriending all the tech people in Nigeria on Facebook, on Twitter, and all the other platforms. So this was the one path which was kind of just um, building the relationships that I knew I would need at some point to raise money. Now, the second part was actually executing. Continued improving the site. Once I finished my master's, I went to Calabar, and then there I went and started signing the hotels and doing the contracts to actually go to the next validation stage, which is that um, we can get photos, we can get full content on the hotels, and we can also make money from it. So we started making money, and initially it wasn't really clear how we would make money. I mean, now it's kind of obvious in retrospect, but we did the commission thing, we did the uh, prepayment thing, and we also did um, travel guides. So people were in Calabar, so people were that kept booking into Calabar. The first business model was just having a, a like a guide that show a guide that shows them around Calabar. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think our first thirty thousand naira was made in that manner. Just a guide to tell them this yeah, is like, the place to go to in Calabar. Exactly. Like Lonely Planet kind of stuff. No, it was a person. It's a an, person. Yeah. Okay. So when you come to Calabar you can you basically say, Okay, this guy will show you all the places to be in Calabar and then you pay him ten thousand wow. or five thousand naira. So you were testing different revenue models. Yeah. Uh, there. So you moved to Calabar. Calabar was your test bed because you're from Calabar, are you? Yeah, well, I'm from Aquabom, not Aquabom. from Calabar. Okay. So you, you know that 
place. Yeah, I know the area quite well. So it's well. a very good place for you to test. So you mm-hmm. started signing, you went to the hotels, and you are talking to them. Mm-hmm. So this is interesting because when I started my uh, my first startup, Meals uh, Talker UK, I, I know that I know that pitch. When you you want to call somebody that you don't know and you want to tell them that hey, I, I'm going to list. In my own case, it was a restaurant. I'm going to mm-hmm. list a restaurant online. I'm going to drive traffic to you and I'm going to get you food and you're going to pay me in return uh, for that. And 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 then the question is, okay, how much would it cost? And I said, and Imam said, thirty percent. How how did you? When you don't have you don't have as much traffic as they got initially, mm. <laughs> so you're not as big as them. You're just new. They don't even know you. How did you go through that journey of signing your first five hotels? I mean, it was just to sit down and discuss with them and like tell them, okay, so look, if we do bring you a customer. Then you have made more money. If we don't bring you any customers, you have lost nothing. First of all, how did you even get the, the main person? Because the challenge is getting the, the owner or the person with the posturing to, to yeah, have a so meeting with you. It's complicated. Like You have to walk your way from the reception to this person, accountant, the manager, and so on. So we did that. But one thing I very quickly realized is that that process is time-consuming. And if I spent my time doing that for too long, I wouldn't have time to do anything else. You know, So right from the very, I think, in the first month already, I'd already delegated that task out to other people. Okay. And then, like, that has remained the process. Like, other people always do the signing and not myself. Yeah. But you signed the first Yes, yes, yes. To get the process in place. Yeah, to understand how the market would really work. Right. Um, If if this is a podcast about how to build a sales process, I want to delve into that because one of the challenges with... um, businesses like yours is getting the right salespeople to be able to tell the story and, 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 and have the good sales velocity and, and close on time. But I want to move on to after that, how you build the first few restaurants, you test it in Calabar and then you're testing your revenue model. You're making some money. Not enough but you're making some money. Were you building the site as well? You were doing the coding in yeah. the evening and the weekends as yeah, well? I was coding uh, the site. <laughs> Did you have a team of people working with you as well? No, it was so it was just me and a friend, like me and a friend Charles. Well, he's somebody that I met when I got to Calabar. I hired him, mm-hmm. you know, to be working with me on the project. And was that an advantage for you that you you can code? Unlike someone else who is starting something like that and then they can't and they have to be doing all the sales and be managing sales team, in, uh, managing a tech team in, in India or something like that. Yeah, so the fact that I not just knew code but I understood technicals deeply is really what led to the success of it. Because we're not the first site. We, there was Niger Hotels and there was Nightstay.com. And they made some basic mistakes, some basic technical mistakes in that they didn't understand customer acquisition. So they focused on, you know, maybe brand or some other methods of actually gaining customers. Well, we focused on SEO and we focused on SEO because I knew how to do SEO and I knew the technical um, tricks that would make it work. So because we had that, we're able to build demand side. And because we build demand side, we're able to then build the supply side. You know, the hotels then saw advantage and then they could start paying. So without being able to kind of technically make those two pieces work, it would have been, it would have looked like the business wouldn't work. Mm. You know, so the, because those other two guys probably, they had the side for a while, wasn't working, like, oh, what's wrong? You know, mm. I left it. Mm. So, but we came in, but because we saw early traction, mm-hmm. then we knew it would work and we're willing to continue invest. So you, you saw that this is a marketplace, that is demand and supply side, so you focused a lot 
on the demand side because you know that the supply side we always follow wherever there is enough exactly traffic. yeah so you focus on SEO because it's the it's the easy cheapest acquisition channel for you rather mm-hmm. than PR or advertising on billboard which a lot of people don't get in startup mm-hmm. you don't start from there yeah. brand is brand is good but it's not going to get you the good uh, early adopters that you want and it's not going to help you to discover the cost of acquiring at a cheap and affordable and scalable way yeah. um, so you focus on SEO Mm-hmm. Uh, because you understood how, how did you get to that reasoning that this is the place to go to or it was just some of those X factor things no no so I have a kind of philosophy and because I've been trying startups for many years and um, before that I was doing iPhone apps and before that I was doing like a, there was a startup I had called Ingolingo it was a language learning thing and before that some other ones oh so you had this is not your first rodeo so yeah, you had yeah. several startups yes like I had been trying yeah like I'm, I've been doing this since 2001 or something wow so like I've been living off software basically yeah uh, doing freelance and working well so I, what I would do is I had products and then um, I mixed between products and uh, consulting so freelancing basically right uh, so the very first one was some MPEG thing and then you know I'd consult but then at some point uh, I, I was tended more to the startup area and then was trying different things trying your home product and building it and launching it and exactly. seeing where it works yeah, yeah. and then if it doesn't work you just stop it and you yeah. move on to the next one yeah. and that's how you go to this yeah. place yeah. so but the, uh, somewhere along the line there was a philosophy that I developed which is that your product is only as good as the distribution channel yeah, like if you are not funded and you don't have any other thing, you are not going that product, no matter how great it is, it's just going to linger. Yeah, I'm sure there are lots of websites, domains out there on the internet that nobody knows about, but they're awesome. A lot of techies spent a lot of time on it. So I thought like anything you are building, first understand what will be your primary distribution channel. If you don't have one, just don't build it. So before I created this, I already knew like search is going to drive this business so the whole thing has to be built with search in mind and then from there we can figure out things later and that knowledge came from you doing several things in the past yes testing and and work and understanding the distribution channel is very key this is the vertical i'm going into and i understand the distribution channel i'm going to focus a lot on that the reason why i'm emphasizing that is some people think that tech is the main thing Mm-hmm. Um, and then they spend, even though you're a tech student, so oh, Mark was able to be successful in the engine because he's a tech person. And you're saying, that is not the main thing. That's not the full story. The full story is that I understood the distribution channel mm-hmm. and I focus on that. Is, is, is that. Yeah, that's correct. And I, I had the resources to capitalize on that distribution channel. So let's say I had this, understood the distribution channel that it's a sales-driven business, maybe enterprise sales. I have zero background in enterprise sales, never tried it, don't know anybody who does it. So even if I knew that I knew a business would work based on enterprise sales, I probably don't have the resources to make it work. But SEO is something that was 100% within my power. Like I had the tech skills, I had the knowledge and all whatnot. So I knew the distribution channel and I knew that I could leverage on that distribution channel. Now. You know, so I also think that it's important that people apply the resources that you know they, they have, have that yeah. is available to them before making that decision. I also want to ask about our resources because resources in this case was your knowledge, your your expertise, and thinking, knowing about SEO, how SEO work. So, yeah. how, have you used SEO in the past for your previous startup, um, or do you have to learn everything? Because SEO is sometimes like a snake oil. Hmm kind of thing that people just bandy around so I had not no I hadn't used it extensively um, 
but I understood the concepts. So I, I knew how it works in the sense that um, if, if, let's say, I am building a, um, what will I say, let's say I write a book, yeah, and the book is about some random topic like education in West Africa. SEO is probably the wrong tool to use because SEO primarily feeds on content, a large amount of unique content that nobody else has. How much unique content can I really have there without writing, rewriting the whole book for free? But the SEO channel or the, the hotel booking space basically is one that auto-generates content. You know, every single hotel that you create generates a new page that already has its own intrinsic demand. Mm-hmm. So that way, the, the, the structure of the app itself lends itself very well to SEO. You right. know, so it, that, that is like kind of how you really understand what the fundamental distribution channel for this thing is. Because you have a unique content. Exactly. Like if something that by itself generates unique content is good for SEO and that can become or will become the primary channel, like Naira Land, for example. Mm-hmm. You know, Naira Land is user-generated content that is uh, search indexed. Oh, that's unique. Yeah. Exactly. And it's con- continuously being created, meaning that it's very good for search. Yeah, yeah. So you understood that and you knew that this business is uniquely placed for me to be able to uh, leverage on SEO yeah. and grow it well. And that was the advantage that you had above every other person. I'm going to talk briefly about raising money. I don't, I don't want to dwell, dwell too much on that, but I'll, I'll talk about what you think about the future. So you in Calabar, and you did this. You were able to get customers. You were validating your, your revenue model. You were getting good traction. How did you then raise money? Um, so I'm not an expert at raising money, and I'm probably, like, even now, I'm not great at raising money. Like, there are a lot of people that have raised huge sums and very, very well in Nigeria, so they're probably far more qualified. Um, I think like the initial raises that we did were that was were very very lucky in that I at the time I didn't know anything about raising money and but what I thought was that there are certain people in the ecosystem who have raised money so primarily uh, Jason Joku, Sim Shagaya, uh, Chikan Wobi and I think there were a few other people that had raised money and I thought Whatever it is that I need to know about raising money, like I probably have to start with these guys. So let me get to know these guys. Let me study their ways. Let me see. Let me know as much as I can about them. And in that process of knowing, you know, being befriending them and interacting with them, then, you know, like I got the offer straight from one of them, you know, Jason, that he, uh, he's willing to invest. Wow. So you weren't expecting that? You just want to know about how to raise money and then he gave you an offer? Yes. So I wasn't, like, in a way I was pitching because I was talking to him, but I wasn't really pitching. Like, it came more from him because he had funds to invest Mm -hmm. and then he decided to invest. I didn't make it happen in any way. Um, So I think my philosophy always is that if, let's say, I want to get into oil drilling business, the first thing I need to do is know all the people in oil drilling business and every other is like the fundamental thing. From there, other things can happen. So that was my strategy. Let's just get to know the people and we'll see what happens. Even if nobody had made an offer, I'm sure at some point, you know, it would have happened. Like Sim, for example, later introduced me continuously to a lot of other investors just because he had interacted and you know maybe thought that what I was doing was good. You know, so getting into that group of people was very helpful uh, in the money raising process. That's very good. I mean, you said something about relationship building, which a lot of people don't, under, I mean, some people underestimate it or they don't do it well, um, which is you want to meet people and you want to 
learn from people that are already in the space that you are trying to go into and that led it to where you're going now. I mean, my, my story has been about relationship. Everything I've done in tech has been through me, just meeting people mm. and talking and my first investment was like that and several investments were, were like that as well and everything I was doing. Um, so you moved to Lagos, Hotels of Tenji, you shipped all your stuff from Calabar to Lagos. Mm-hmm. Um, how difficult was that for you to move to Lagos and, and how not just difficult but how pivotal was that for your business how did it change Hotels of Tenji? Um, so I never wanted to move to Lagos when I when I came to Nigeria I thought I'd stay in Calabar for a while then go to Abuja because I liked the I liked Abuja like the serenity and all that and I pretty much had to be forced to move to Lagos so Jason said that it's a condition for the investment that Lagos is where the startup scene is and I told him then you know what like sure I'll come but I'm just gonna stay here and then I'll make this a branch office and I'll go to Abuja you know it's been what like four years now and I'm still here <laughs> So I, I think there is no doubt about it that the tech industry in Nigeria is in Lagos. Every other thing is really a small, um, a small cluster compared well, to the But the argument could be that uh, you could, you're an online business. You could build your headquarters in anywhere in Nigeria. I mean, you can get your, your customers are all over Nigeria, for example. So why, why do you have to be in Lagos? What are the key things that make Lagos unique for your own business? I think the main thing, for, as with any cluster, is the people you meet. So you, there are certain, like, just because the people are already there, you just go there and then you meet those people. And those people are the ones that do a lot of the connections, be it for partnership or for fundraising or even for knowledge, mm-hmm. you know, like sharing exchange of knowledge. And talent as well. You're able and to talent. get access to talent. Absolutely. So a lot of good talent from all over Nigeria comes to Lagos because the jobs are here. And um, it's difficult, you know, finding talent in Nigeria. If you needed to find it in a small city, you would really, really struggle you know so for that reason all these things have just come together and made lagos the place mm. so you, you convinced that lagos is the place for you and it, has it helped your business so far oh yeah yeah without us being in lagos we would not have been able to find the talent that we currently have mm. like that that is quite clear i still i don't doubt that anybody can build a good technology company in other parts of nigeria but i just think it's harder and there are certain types of businesses that will better lend themselves to being in other parts of the country. But a consumer-facing technology business, I think, best runs in Lagos. Yeah, yeah I agree with you on that. I agree with you. Um, you've been in, this, in the high of the storm, or uh, in the high of the open in, in Lagos, and you've seen transformation happen since 2012 in the tech ecosystem. Um, what are your observations so far in terms of the interest from outside funding, um, startup coming to Africa, the impact of uh, companies like um, um, uh, the Rocket Internet and, and the ecosystem generally? What has been your, your view so far? So I, I think there has been quite a fundamental transformation that has happened. In the ecosystem in 2012, 2013, it, there were a lot of startups that very honestly were just jokes. Yeah, like those startups were not startups. They were more, they were designed more as, um, you know, like kind of let me hammer startups in the hope that somebody will just come and give them a grant, like, oh, I really love what you are doing, collect money, and then they'll take the money and go and buy Prado and disappear. Yeah, like that was, I believe, the hope of many of those people. Was so, there a hype at that time? Yes, there was a hype, and a, those, a lot of people thought that they'll, with just some small ideas, they're going to really get a lot of money like the other big guys were getting. Now, that died off. 
Yeah, and a lot of those startups just vanished. I don't know where most of them are now. Like you can, if you go and look at like top 10 startups 2012, 2013, 2014, you, you all, almost all of them are gone. We're the only ones that have been consistent since 2013. Like we're still, we're still there wow. quite luckily. So, at, at that time, there were, uh, there, was, there were kind of two categories. There was just the very big guys who were collecting $7 million checks, $10 million checks. That was Iroko, um, Wakanao, Paga, uh, Konga, Jumia, that, that level. Then there were just a lot of little startups that were taking $5,000 checks and $10,000 checks. All those ones are all gone. So now what we are seeing in 2015, 2016 are actually quite well-run Startups that are coming up, like you have Paystack that came, Flutterwave, Kudi AI, I think just came out. You know, so you have, um, and then there's us and uh, Toilette, there's Printivo. So you have startups that now you can say, okay, these are the real startups, and these startups are actually going to make it because they're building a great scalable product and they have a great team mm-hmm. working on them. And you can see it also in the funding that has now happened. Like I think Paystack raised $1.2 million mm-hmm. on their first round, we just raised $200,000 on our first mm-hmm. round. Flutterwave I heard has raised quite some good money also. I think that what we are seeing at this particular point in time is the real startup starting. And a startup is not easy to start in that you can't just wake up and say, I want to do startup, and you do. You actually need some knowledge, you need some background. And till those people start doing startups, it will all be the small things. But we are now seeing those people actually making startups. What are the major contributing factors to those changes? I mean, you mentioned a lot of things, and I'm going to tease them out. So uh, the kind of uh, founders that are building those businesses, is that a major contributing factor? Um, the kind of businesses they are building are these businesses that is that is actually solving problems, mm-hmm. not just a, an online website that is just trying to be like another startup from the UK or US. Um, is, is there any factor about funding that the, the amount of check being written now is quite bigger and substantial or there are a lot of <laughs> investors with deep pockets now coming into the space um, I, from, from the from, from the UK or the US, and you have uh, based based on raising money f- initially from Y um, Combinator, and then and having that kind of traction. Uh, are those the factors, or is there another factor of of people from that have studied or lived in the abroad? Um, I think there's a word for them now, uh, repatriate, uh, coming back home and trying to put themselves. And I think that feed into the talent. What are the main factors for you that changed the game since 2012? Um, I don't believe in the repatriate thing I, because most of the people that come back are too soft. Yeah, I'm not talking about you. You're a hard guy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm soft as well. <laughs> so a lot of people, like, they can't take the stress of Nigeria. So they tried for a while and, ah, this stuff isn't working. You know, when they are collecting $10,000 in a year, that's the total revenue for their startup. They'll say, well, let me just go and work somewhere. That's what's happening. So I don't really think that that is a contributing factor. And I don't see that any of these startups is really being driven by people that came from abroad. Forget about the founder, but even the staff. A lot of it is just local talent. I think the main factors are primarily that it's getting more attractive to work in startups because they're getting better funded. And also, kind of trivial, but people are getting older. The people that were around in 2012, now they are like four years more experience doing this and they are adjusting their ideas and adapting and making better ideas. Like the founders of Paystack have been at this the payments thing for a while, but now it's a startup that is a hit. You know, and it's kind of like you need a certain amount of experience to really make it work. 
Uh, that's the one thing. Another thing that I think is a little bit controversial, but I believe that the investors are realizing that $5,000 or $10,000 checks don't work. Okay. There is no example in Nigeria of somebody that started with a $10,000 check and created anything significant. Yeah, like you could literally, there are a lot of them that started with $10,000 checks. All of them dead. But you look at the ones that started with $50,000 or $75,000 checks, maybe three quarters are still alive doing well. And three quarters have gone on to raise for that money. Well, you could argue that, I mean, you need something to start with. Like you started your business with how much? $30 or to buy your domain name? Yeah. And when you started early on that, if you were giving $5,000 check, would it have made any difference to what you have done now? Would it have died? Probably you wouldn't have. You'd have gone on to be what you're building now, isn't it? So... I started my. I bought my domain for three thousand dollars, not thirty dollars, because okay. somebody had it and he sold it for me for three thousand. So it means I had three thousand dollars to spare, right? I had enough money to buy a car and yeah. I had enough money to rent a flat and so on. Yeah. So I didn't come broke, yeah. right? Because I had already been running a pretty successful software company before I came. If somebody had come and told me have five thousand dollars or ten thousand dollars, I'd say okay. Well, if you're taking zero point zero five percent of the company, fine, yeah. But if you want to take 30% of the company for $5,000. No, you can go. Like, I'm not going to take it. Mm-hmm. But that's the deal that is being offered. You know, here, $10,000 for 10%. And is that one of the factors that made them not be successful? Is it because Any they've given away too much at the no. beginning? Or the money they had was too... Because I'm trying to tease out something here. Is it the check that is the problem? Or the founder? Or the, or the, or the, or the idea that was a problem? It's because the founder. The founder who will take a $10,000 check will not scale that business. If No, a founder who gives a $10,000 check for 10% of it or 20% of his business does not believe enough in that business to actually take that money or he needed that money so desperately that it means that he has a lot of other issues yeah so I believe the problem is not like the money is really a pro an issue it's more that the selection of people once you offer $10,000 you just get a big mass of people and a lot of them really they don't want the startup they want the money They're like for them $10,000 is significant yeah but if your aim is to build a startup that's worth a hundred million dollars ten thousand dollars doesn't even factor in in your consciousness yeah like it's so small so i understand that there are people for who really need that money to get started but i i don't think people who need the money that desperately should be founding startups i think they should be working at startups i think they should go somewhere that they can gain enough money like they can do different things to make cash a traditional way before they go into startups so that the money is nice to have but you didn't need it it wasn't an essential for you but isn't that not making startups starting a very good level playing ground for a lot of people that don't have the money so you are you are, pri- you are privileged that you have you've been building something before you have some money you could you are able to afford three thousand dollars to buy domain name, but so many other people maybe they don't have that. They mm-hmm. don't they don't have that kind of money, and the only way they could actually be in the in the, in, in the play is to get like ten thousand their first ten thousand dollar check to be able to. Yeah, I mean something. it is possible, but. The thing is, I'm not, I'm not a guy, like, I don't speculate. I like looking, like, what is the trend? And this trend has clearly proven itself. Nobody. So all I'm trying to do is now try and apply my reasoning as to why it doesn't work, which my reasoning can be wrong. My reasoning can be wrong, but the data is not wrong. The data is that everybody with big checks is doing well. Everybody with small checks is doing badly. Mm. Yeah, like, this is the data. Mm-hmm. And, um, that's, that, and that's, that, that's very um, logical. <laughs> if you don't have enough resources, you won't be able to 
try, try the best talents, say the best talent, they're not going to work for you. And you're not going to be able to get customer acquisition right because you're not spending enough money to acquire them in the first place. Mm-hmm. You're not going to have a long runway. That means that you're always worried about where your next paycheck is going to come from. So your co-founder might leave you and start working for Access Bank. Yeah. <laughs> so you're going to have issues. So yeah. Yeah. But if you raise a million, if you raise $50,000, or $100,000, you probably get the best talent to work for you. Somebody who wants to take a job in a bank can actually work for you because you can afford to pay them. Then you can actually test your customer acquisition properly, and then you can scale. You can you can afford to do some tests, and then you go somewhere that you have about 18 months runway, so you don't have to worry about your, where you're going to get your next base check from. Exactly. So, and I, I think um, people like... Startups are not made in three months. It takes time. And in the first three months, it's not even like you had, oh, you have made progress. In the first three months, probably just a mistake that you need to scrap. Like us when we're doing the guide in Calabar. You know, if we run out of money then, we'll say let's raise money to continue doing guide. You know, which would have been the wrong path. So there are so many mistakes you make. And... um, Capital forgives your mistakes, you know, but when there's no capital, you, make, you get to make the mistake once and your company is dead. And then you have lost faith in your investor. You've probably lost faith in yourself. Your employees have lost faith in, in the startup. You know, so now it's very hard to go from that and then make it successful again. So I think that I know a lot of investors will be saying, oh, why would we give our $50,000 to some random unknown guy? So I think it's better, like, let's spend the time validating people by making them do useful stuff. That is, uh, you know, like, you have, you have work experience, you have experience in some form of entrepreneurship, and so on. And then from there, you're now going to your startup. And not, mm, oh, I'm completely fresh, I just left school, but I've got a brilliant idea, and now here, let me have $10,000, and I'll be able to make a million dollars out of that. Let's stop and take a quick break. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by The Lunge Practice. Are you about to start a new business or running an existing one? You need a lawyer. I have seen a number of startups unable to raise money or miss out on a lucrative deal because they fail legal due diligence. You don't want that to happen to you. This is why you need to have a startup-focused lawyer. The ones that understand your early hustle and are willing to partner with you now. The Lunge Practice is a legal firm that specializes in working with early-stage startups in Africa. When I came to Nigeria in 2015, they were recommended by everyone as the lawyers that understand startups. Since then, I've used their service and so are many other startups, including the likes of Paystack, Callbase, Pass.ng, Techabar, Printivo, WeCyclers, and many others. To get a free consultation as a listener of this podcast, fill out the form on podcast.thelongerpractice.com. That is podcast.thelongerpractice.com. R-A-C-T-I-C-E dot com and one of the lawyers will get in touch with you. You can also find a link on this podcast show notes. I was playing with an idea some time ago about what about you get very smart people that want to be startup and instead of them going to work in a bank or work elsewhere because that's not what they really want to do and then they might not even be able to do the startup but they don't have the money. You give them some money and say, okay, I'm going to give run uh, like paying your salary for the next 18 months, okay, and you and your friends work on ideas. If it works, it's fine. If it works well and the idea is good, then we give you $50,000 or $100,000 check to be able to scale it. But this money is for you to be able to not worry about salary, not worry about internet, and just afford to make mistakes and, so, and run. I, under, I understand that model, and it's not, it's, that model has been tried, and there are many, several companies that are trying that now. There's MEST, there's Seed Stars, Spark initially had that model. Um, 
and I think 440, well, not really, in a way, but partially. Now, there's a certain problem with that model, and the problem is if there is a boss. Yeah, as soon as there's a boss figure in any startup, people mentally put their problems on the boss. Yeah? It's like, we don't have money. How do we get money from him? You know, all oh, these guys are keeping us in this office, and how do we get out? They'll start thinking. So they are, their mind is no longer the, my, the solution to my problems is my customers. The mind is so the they're solution. not optimizing well in their thinking exactly. as a startup founder should. Yes, and I observed it. Like, I, I was live in when this happened. You know, and I've spoken to people who are in that kind of situation. And, you know, like 90% of their conversation is always about their investor or their boss or the person who gave them the money. And um, I noticed it for us. Like, when we left the Spark building, where we're all together with a bunch of startups and we're on our own, our revenue went up like 300% the next month because I told everybody, like, we make our money. If we don't make money, we're not going to own the ACs. We're not going to put fuel. Well, I'm not going to be able to pay salary. So let's make this money. And everybody just like, they knew that we're on our own. We knew we had to make it. And we made the money. And we kept on going every, like, we never, we never didn't pay salary, even when we ran out of all funds of funding capital. And I think that is essential to a startup. You have to know that you are on your own. When you are on your own, you'll do what's necessary. Mm. Like you must be like, you know, in the battle territory and the bridge is burnt. Mm-hmm. Then you know it's only forward. So it's like, so how do you then get, get a gap between getting enough funding for startup to be able to make mistakes and run and, and at the same time not making them too comfortable such that they're not even thinking innovatively about how to keep themselves alive? Yeah, I think that, um, so first of all, I think a startup must be built out of a good team. Yeah, and getting a good team is very hard, not because, because it's not just smart. It's not like, it's not just about like the person is smart. The person has to have grit. The person has to be very resourceful. And many smart people are not very resourceful. You know, or when they are trouble, when there's trouble, they can, they can, you know, check out and then say like, I can deal with this. But they are smart. They know the solution mentally, but they're not going to do it. So you need to build that type of team. And the best ways have people that are really semi-entrepreneurial maybe they're in a company and they really are they don't own part of the company but they are reporting to somebody but they have the opportunity to run part of the company and you know that they're entrepreneurial from spirit and then those people should just be given enough money something like a hundred thousand dollars fifty thousand dollars they say hey you guys you're on your own go out there we're not going to invest any further after this you raise your own money if the money finishes you can't pay salaries shut down the company Okay. Yeah, I don't think that I don't think that any form of soft landing or cushion or anything is in any way helpful. Yeah. Because that was what helped you and is that is that a data trend that you saw in other successful startups where they had good enough check to be able to test and validate and run for some time, but they don't have this if you don't have the money can come back to me if you don't have the money you're on your own. So you need to make this work. If you don't make it work, I'm not gonna take you to court, but you need to make this work. Yeah. Like and you, but the capital should be enough to take it to a certain stage. Right. If the capital is ridiculously low, like you know the funding needs of this company, and the capital doesn't match the funding needs, then it's a waste of money, like a waste of that guy's time and a waste of that money, because it'll run out, and it's quite difficult raising money in Africa. So. Yeah, being able to raise money is not going to happen on time. Mm-hmm. And then the person is out of money, out of morale and all whatnot. I think it's a recipe for disaster and I've observed it like it's so many instances of it happening. Mm-hmm. Big checks are necessary. Is that a challenge that you see again that a lot of investors in, in the African tech ecosystem are still not educated about how tech 
investment works. Is that a challenge that you see and how, do, how would they tackle that? I think uh, we, local investors that don't know about tech, I think we have to cut them off out of the ecosystem completely. Now, I would never go to a local investor that doesn't understand this business but wants to put money in it because the, it is very, very difficult to deal with an insistent shareholder who doesn't know why you are doing what you are doing. Yeah, so we have, I mean, I deal, we deal with hotels. A lot of people that own hotels have very large amounts of money, like they're very rich people. And we get offers. Like, I constantly get offers from hotel owners saying, like this hotel Sanjay thing, I want to invest, I'm seeing what it's doing for my hotel. And I always say no. Because I say you're in hotel business, you're not in online, like you're not in technology business. And probably you are 60 plus and 70. I don't want somebody calling me, you know, please, please come to Cross River, where something to discuss. And I'll go and sit there for like four days waiting for him to see me and he feels it's his right because he invested money but that is what will happen realistically because mm-hmm. that's, the, that's the business those people have been in yeah they are doing nothing wrong it's just their mode mm-hmm. yeah but that is not technology and that's not technology investing and I think that we need professionals like my investors now like they are great because they give us every resource that we need and they allow us to operate the company optimally and if it's something highly technical they defer like they know I know that stuff and they may not know it as much you know so like I have a very professional set of investors and that's why I'm very happy and I'm hesitant on putting anybody else and I know people uh, some even in similar businesses as ours who said money is money wherever I can get it and people they get it from force them to spend the money on the wrong things yeah. the completely wrong things and now at the end of it they are upset because the business isn't working but it's really the fault of the investor and if you say no then you have a board conflict and you know every board meeting becomes a very nerve-wracking thing so for that reason I think that we should just write off these people one day maybe one of them could just decide I'm coming in and I'm coming in at the terms that I'm coming in the way the tech industry works then he can come in but we shouldn't go and bring them in because they will bring the wrong attitudes into this thing I think tech investors tech investment operates a certain way yeah. and there's a certain return that it has and the people who are currently investing in tech know that and they're doing it right and I think there are two ways to you can still get some money from you can call it we call it um, not dumb money because that's, that's a bit uh, but money from people that don't understand tech but they want to invest in tech there are two ways they can come into a tech business A is you're not you're a shareholder but you're not a board member you're not in the board you're not advisory you're, mm-hmm. you just put your money in and you expect and you, you, you put your trust in the board mm-hmm. to be able to direct and, and work with the startup founder yeah. and you don't do a lot of interaction with the startup founder uh, a lot okay that's one which is hard or the other way is to invest through a vehicle like uh, a VC Mm-hmm. or a syndicate or angel fund mm-hmm. because that way you're not directly working with a startup you're just putting money in and they are investing it on your behalf yeah. to the tech company because they, these guys are professionals and they understand the tech industry and they can interact with the founders better and I think that's those are the two ways in which non-tech people that don't understand tech but really want to invest in tech but actually you, you hit a point there which is the fundamental thing is that if you're a non-tech person <laughs> investing in tech is is really really difficult and dumb because you probably can make your money back quickly putting money in real estate. In tech, it's a power law. Okay, it's one out of ten that we succeed, and the one that succeed will give you maybe one hundred or two hundred returns more than the ones that have failed. So you be able to understand that that you're going to spread your money into about ten startup, and one of them we do we give you 
100 times everything you put in and maybe eight of them will die and maybe one will just barely survive so you need to understand that model before you put your money in and, and if, you, if they don't it's going to be a difficult thing it's going to be misalignment between a founder's expectation and the, and the yeah. but I think the model that you said is quite brilliant the one of them pulling their money and working with some kind of you know the people that are interacting with the startups because there are some startups that are going to do very, very well, and they'll return cash relatively quickly. So if you find some rich guy that has, you know, one five hundred million dollars somewhere, and he now puts hundred thousand dollars into a startup and collects a million after two years, it's like, okay, this thing is a good is a good business, and he'll start funding more and more. The problem is if he needs if he deals directly, but if he deals through a proxy. You know, then he will be interested. Let's do this thing more. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't care that eight failed and only two survived. Mm-hmm. All he knows is he collected one he million bucks. Yes. You know, and, and, and I think that's one of the things I work. So Silicon Valley is the people that put money in Silicon Valley startup are not only tech people. Hmm. I mean, it was second to third generation of people that founded businesses that started now investing. Like people like Peter Thiel, we made money from tech. Actually, didn't make his first money was not from tech anyway. Initially, it was a finance guy, understood tech, and then made from tech and investing in Facebook. But initially, they were just people, real estate guys, people that made money from all elsewhere, and they put money in professionals who understand tech, and they spread the risk for them, and then it got returns. Now, let, let's talk about where do you see this going? You know, we talk about the ecosystem. The ecosystem, you've seen changes, uh, and it's very hard to what the observation that you had about what happened in 2012 and the new intake. Now, it's, it's almost normal for this to happen anyway. When I first came to Nigeria in 2015 and looking at the tech, ecosystem. I wrote a piece after I got back to England and one of the things I said there was that there will be lots of failure because failure will calcify the ecosystem and it's normal and it's, and it's necessary for failures to happen because that will help us to learn. And so anybody that is coming to invest in Africa, a lot of my friends that want to invest in Africa, they have to have that long term thinking that it's, it's, not, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon and it's a very long marathon mm-hmm. and, and because you're going to fund some failures and those failures will help us to the success that we are looking for. Now you've seen those things happen. Where do you see this going from here? Um, I, I think we are underestimating how significantly the entire startup ecosystem will change. And when I say startup, I don't just mean technology. There's also biotech and energy and different kinds of different startups in different ways. We do this internship program uh, at Hotels NG where we just get a whole bunch of people to work remote on, on our software. So in our last one, we had 1,000 people who started. Now there are 70 left. Yeah. So every week, anybody that doesn't meet up, we disable them. You know, so over time, I think we're... And you're not paying them, they just We work. pay, we you pay. You pay them? Yeah. Okay. So we pay them and then, you know, but we, we're kind of like, every time we disable... What, what are they doing? They just do any random thing? No, so we're building software. We're building a software product. Okay. Yeah, so it's something something for the company, mm-hmm. you know, but they are being paid to build that uh, project. So this is the second one we did. Now, out of the first one, I think we started with 170 or so. We ended up with 15 people and all those 15 people are very strong. Like, because they, they went, they, it's a remote system, so they had to deal with all the adversity of Nigeria and work their way through that program. And out of that 15, maybe there are five people, and I could vouch, put my money on those five people that they are going to be brilliant founders. Wow. Yeah? All that needs to happen is they need to just be extracted from the big mass of people. And then out of the 1,000, I can already see like 10 people that I know are going to be great founders. Like, these people, they have all that it takes to make it happen. So, what, what is that level of expertise before they join that program? Just There's no, no expertise. 
it is. It's every, most of them are tech. students or they just So they like, don't know about tech before? No, no, they do. They do. They do like, know about how to code. They know not they, some are designers, some are uh, markets, uh, digital marketers, some are um, uh, like architecture people and so on. So it's a whole board. They just kind of the group you need to make a product. And you just pay them... Um, 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 what's it called internship money to work remotely with a lead from hotel so you there's another resource in hotel NG that is leading and directing them exactly yeah and every week if they're not meeting up to standard you, you disable them and it was yeah. a meeting of standard you keep them yeah that's a good model yeah it is and then what is what, what do you want to get out of that so we built products so we built last time we built spots.ng mm-hmm. yeah which is like an unexpected hit product like it's it's driving like 25% of our traffic now wow like it's amazing and I think we have over like 5,000 tourist spots now in Nigeria already wow. on that platform. So it's, it has been like a great uh, driver. We built a B2B website. Mm-hmm. So we have a dedicated uh, website for our clients. For the hotels? No, it is for our uh, corporate clients. So it's a very little known okay. thing. But ah. some of the biggest companies in Nigeria use our service dedicated. Wow. So if I want to book um, accommodation for my, for my friends who come in for... No, well, it's not, it's not like that. It's more like if you have a company with maybe 10,000 people. Right. And they have continuous travel. Okay. So they don't book individually and give them cash anymore. They just direct all the bookings through us. Wow, awesome. So we built a a tool, like a software Mm -hmm. tool for them, but it's very restricted. You know, nobody has access to it apart from those clients. But some very big names that, you know, they use us. Uh, Like at the time, they were like half of our revenue. Now our consumer business is very big. So maybe they're like 20% of our revenue, but it's still very good. Um, so they build those two products, and those two products are doing amazingly. Yeah, that was the first thing. And secondly, we we built a very good pipeline of talent. Yeah, so we hired, uh, right from the program, we hired three people, and they're amazing software developers. One of them is still in school, but he does contract work continuously for us. Another one got hired at a friend's company and so on. So that's what we want to do. We want to build a pipeline of talent for us, mm-hmm. and at the same time, build products. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, for us, it's working really, really well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm very excited about the new product that they're building now, mm-hmm. and also the people that I'm already seeing there. And do you see that as a good thing that would drive so let, let's 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 think macro now um, from hotels to ng mm-hmm. how, how do you see that kind of model or any other stuff that you're trying to do map out in the ecosystem so I, I strongly believe in the technology ecosystem and i believe in nigeria and i believe that it's my field it's what i've done all my life and i have an obligation to develop the, the ecosystem and i think that every other person that is in this ecosystem has that obligation too and one of the reasons that we do this is also so that we can develop this. Like we need, it's, it's a chicken and egg problem. If you don't have the technical skills or the skilled people, you can't create a startup. But those people only come into existence because there's a startup. So we need some, somebody needs to come and, you know, like do that uh, the artificial insemination of the chicken yeah. or something so that the first one comes about. Yes. You know, so that's what the kind of thing that I'm trying to do, like get more people interested in the general ecosystem and then get more people that actually not just have the talent, but then we can hire them, let them work for one year, two years, they move on to other startups or they create their own startups. You know, something of that nature. Um, Look, someone like Jason now, I mean, he has done this significantly by funding several companies. Like Jason has funded us, he funded Printivo, he funded um, Oga Venue, Mm -hmm. you know, which are all significant startups now. Uh, The work that it goes out, has done in his Series A type of funding is also driving up the ecosystem. But I think the companies also have that obligation to create talent, you know, and enable that talent to go on to create their startups. Like, 
we have two people now that have gone on to create startups. So uh, Victor Dubrin has created an artisan uh, startup, which is doing quite well. He's already making like uh, 500K, uh, like two months after starting, and he was working with us. Uh, Mubarak, our designer, has also created his own startup mm-hmm. in fashion, the fashion app. You know, so I think like as more companies do this, that ecosystem will continue developing. And peop- these people that are going off to do this have like startup experience. Mm-hmm. You know, they've kind of seen how it works. Seen how it works, yeah. Yeah, and they'll continue creating. So over time, all this will develop. The thing is, naturally, it would develop. No matter what anybody does, the startup scene will develop. What we can do is accelerate the development. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we can make it grow faster and grow bigger. Mm-hmm. And we can do that by doing this kind of investments that uh, Hotels NG is doing mm-hmm. and like the, uh, any other investment that any other company is doing. Mm-hmm. I think what Andela is doing is also great. Like They will start pumping their own people back into the ecosystem quite yeah, soon. So there's a talent acceleration going exactly. on. Exactly. And I think that it's talent first and then the second part then happens. Mm. You know, so, but we are seeing definitely that talent is being created at this point in time. Is that so I remember when I met you the other time and we were talking in your office, we were talking about, I was asking what's the biggest pain point and you were talking about talent is one of the challenge for you. And I've seen a bit of that as well now. I employ quite a number of people and turnover quite a number of people are started in Africa, in Nigeria. And, the ch- and I understand that acutely now about talent. Do you see that as a big challenge and, and, and has that been changing uh, over time with people understanding how to work in tech? Talent is a massive issue, but you know, bear in mind, it's not a Nigeria issue. If you went to Romania, you have the same problem, or Hungary, or some other random country that just doesn't have that tech talent pool. You know, it, it will always happen. Um, a lot of people, first of all, don't have the technical skills, and the ones that have the technical skills, a lot of them are just not, let's say, mature enough yet to work in certain levels in startups, particularly growing startups. You know, so you could have somebody that, okay, I do tech finance, but the person is junior. You know, but at some point, the company scales, and the company needs to start doing international financing rounds, and that person is no longer capable. But now there's a problem because your alternatives to find that maybe Unilever, someone working at Unilever or something. He just doesn't have that background. He doesn't have that type of background. Never needed to do this in his 30-year career. Um, So the talent is a problem, but as startups start to curate out the good talent, that problem becomes less. Right. You know, so like us, we'll obviously experiment. You've probably, you know, met a bunch of people, tried a bunch of people, and you, you initially you have your hypothesis. You'll say this, this is what will work out well for me. Then over time you realize, okay, it was, it's better than what I had, but it's still not good enough. Like, you know, like that. These things need to be different than this thing. So you will keep changing, and at some point you understand, and then you now have talent, and that talent will now start working, and they will understand how to do a startup from your end, mm-hmm. and they are now available. You know, at some point they'll want to move on to another company and they can now seed other companies and start attracting their own friends and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So I think that over time the talent will develop but it's kind of the third stage. First the startups need to develop. Of course you need the talent to make the startups but it's a bootstrap process. Like (laughs) It will somehow get there and I think every startup that maintains its trajectory over time will just curate good startup talent and then those people will go on to work at other startups or will will create their own companies. I have a few more questions before we run out. How do you see this ecosystem playing out? What are the key, if you want to place a bet on what will happen 
or, or let's look at the let's look at the future like that. We have a gaze in the next four or five years. What are the key things that you see will happen that tech will build and how will it change our life? I think that there are going to be funds in Africa coming. Like there'll be like maybe three, four, five, thirty million dollar funds, twenty million, ten million dollar funds, those size of funds. And they're not yet significant ones. No, they are not. They're not. Like there are people that have been creating their phone for like three years now. It's still not ready, you know. So, as those funds come, they will. People will start raising money from the funds, and that will get other smart people to see that this is a good way to create businesses. And you'll see different businesses popping up. I think that uh, we are kind of past a certain stage where an old model is, will not really work anymore. A lot of the new platforms are being built like VR and AI and so on. It may look very futuristic for Africa, but I actually think that's where we'll build our startups. I don't really see that. I don't know what else in there. Like the, the old things like classifieds. Yeah. yeah, like they have been there. There are a bunch of them that already are existent in Nigeria and they're working to a certain degree. I rather think those ones will just consolidate and get better instead of new people coming in and kind of doing it better. So I rather think they're going to come up with new platforms or things that are significantly changing. What or, about mobile? Is mobile going to play a significant role? Because a lot of Africans will not be using this and uh, I still see a lot of startups are starting they've still built from, from, from computer uh, or, or, or desktop. Uh, what is the impact of mobile in terms of reaching uh, people and, and building businesses that will, that will help them? So mobile, without a doubt, is the primary platform for everybody in Africa. Like, it's mobile first, and that's not a buzzword. Like, it's actually real. In 10 years, everybody will start off with an Android or a tablet, an Android phone, and that's what you have to develop for first mm -hmm. before you develop any other thing. The big screen will become a luxury. Yeah, so... Um, a lot of it depends how the technology develops, but we do see the, the mobile technology is developing in such a way that the desktop and the mobile will converge. It's going to be the same OS, running the same apps and so on. Like this will happen in before the next 10 years. And they will also see web and apps merging in yeah. a way. You know, and I think that in 10 years, what you'll have is you create an app once and it runs everywhere. So you, you barely even need to think about anything. You kind of create the mobile interface first. Then you create the expanded interface that's big screen interface. Whether it's desktop or not, doesn't matter. All that matters is the size of the screen mm -hmm. it's showing on. You create the big screen interface and that's how everything will look like. So, so you see significant changes that will happen in Africa will be big money will come in that will be able to fund businesses post Series A because mm. we don't have that now. Yeah. Um, even though when I, I hear that you can easily raise money, maybe not for tech companies, but if you want to raise ten million, fifty million dollars in Nigeria, oh yeah, absolutely. Easy That's easy. That. That's easy. From what I hear, like a lot of PE firms, they hear they can get the returns because they're only looking for two x returns or three x. But they're not, they're not funny tech companies for that. Well, there are no tech companies worth that much <laughs> because they're not they, 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 they're worth that much. But maybe they're not doing enough revenue to justify that to them. They are worth that much in like. Well, I say in the cloud. Yeah. <laughs> like the cloud. Yeah, they're not really worth that much because 
if you value them based on revenue multiple and not on you know this is how bright the future is yeah. then they are not worth that much yeah yeah but yeah I, I, I think I agree with you about that in the cloud yeah they, they're worth that much <laughs> because if you look at this is the market that we're going after because a lot of companies raised um, 15, 30 million dollars in, 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 in the US or in the UK and they're not making half of some they're not making a lot of money mm-hmm. so there's no past post series A or strong uh, I, I think there's some capital yeah. I can't remember the name now there's some there's some VCs that are, that, that are, they tend to be post series A in Nigeria but they're not writing enough check or they mm. don't have that much so you see that we change uh, people will raise money and money will come to Africa uh, post series A We've, we have enough of 10 million five less than a million uh, one million dollar fund yeah. we need more of that and you think that would change the game a lot yeah it will attract more people into the industry as they see more normal people getting rich in quotes yeah then more people want to come in a lot of this stuff is just driven by economic interest I don't think like it's like passion driving all of it it's really like hey that's a good way to get rich let me do that and do you see also exit changing the game do you see any, any potential exit soon from some of these tech businesses because that's a big challenge at the moment as well yeah they, they can, there will be there can be exits but the exits will be small for now because I think even like one of the larger Africa exits was just $70 million in South Africa. I can't remember the name. So the exits are small, but the exits are small primarily because the revenues are small. Like when you, what you are buying is revenues, right? And if the guy is earning $50,000 a year, how much can you really pay for that? So there will be exits. But there are not a lot of exitable companies, and the ones that will happen now will be small. Mm-hmm. But as soon as somebody has a revenue model that is doing really well, it will be cheap to buy other companies. Okay. You know, as soon as somebody is like, okay, you are making $6 million a year or something, they'll probably buy companies that are earning $50,000 a year, mm-hmm. 100000 mm-hmm. So we'll be seeing that type of exit. And happen. you have good stories because then to attract more people that will have said, okay, I would have gone to our company, but I cannot go into startup because I can, I can earn a decent living from there. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the sad things is that there have been a few exits, but people keep them very quiet. What you basically hear of people, they sold their company to this other company, and now they built, built houses in Lekki and are driving G-Wagons <laughs> around. But they don't say it because they, they probably don't want to be targets or they don't right. want to be seen. Right. So there's kind of a cultural thing there where people don't want to announce that they have just made big money. <laughs> you know, so it's another thing that we have to kind of get over. Like you notice the people that talk the most are people like, you know, that announce this kind of stuff a lot are people like Jason yeah. Njoku, you know, who, who is the UK based, you know, yeah. like he's UK, he has a lot of UK cultural influence. But people that are Nigerian, Nigerian, they don't want to talk about they don't they don't even want to talk about them raising money. They like keeping right. it quite quiet. Right. So because I had it's a cultural thing I'd yeah. say. So and what what's your view on that? I think it's wrong. I think that everybody who wants to develop this ecosystem now has an obligation to announce as loudly as they can the revenues they make, the monies they raise, and any exits. And isn't that, again, there's a little bit of culture about bragging or stuff. Isn't that lending to that something? How do you create a balance between not just talking about, hey, this is how much we're making and this is how much we've raised versus this is how we're doing it and I want to tell you so that other people can learn and attract more people to the ecosystem. How do you strike the balance? Um, I mean, there's the teaching of people, but there is also the I became a billionaire thing. 
That is why people will enter this industry. Like, honestly, forget all the bullshit and everything. It's why people. And people need to tell those stories. Like, people need to announce it. It will be a big driver for the ecosystem. Just one big announcement can create like a hundred startups. Right. So irrespective of any cultural thing, it's just and later it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. But anybody that wants to develop the ecosystem should do it now. Should talk about how what they if they're being successful, they should blow that trumpet. Yes, it's not just for them; it's for the ecosystem. Absolutely, as well. Okay, so that's why you. I wanted to intern. You're very, very, you're very, very active on social media. Very active on Facebook. Very, very active on Twitter. And I've seen some of the trend that you're doing now on Facebook, for example, where you're doing doing a lot of talking to him, uh, start up and getting, getting a very good audience. What is your angle on that? What, 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 is, what is the game plan? For any industry like this, you need to stay relevant. And we're in the startup industry. And my primary role is being a CEO, right? And that means raising visibility, being able to connect with people and so on. So a lot of the things I do are just for that reason. Like, let, let us continue to be known. Let us continue to be relevant. Let, me, let people continue to know me in that, you know, as a representative of the company. And I think, you know, like kind of... Building businesses in obscurity is good, but you gain a lot more advantages if you are visible. Hotels.ng looks so Nigerian. It's Hotels.ng. Mm. Right. And what is your vision for all that part of Africa, or is it something you say, let's just build an hyper-local business now and replicate it later? What, what are your plans? We are going to build similar sites for other African countries. So it will be out this year. Okay, so you're yeah. looking at okay, absolutely. Funny. So this year we'll launch our full international spectrum. Wow, that's good. Yeah, because we should we should be looking out for that. Absolutely. Yeah. So do you see other spaces in African countries that are very? Have you been seeing in, inbound um, link uh, inbound requests from other African countries? No, most of our inbound requests don't come from other African countries. They come from traditionally Nigerian places, Dubai, London. <laughs> US, Malaysia, India, China. Like where you know they are Nigerians, that's where you see uh, inbound requests. Kwame wanted to get a place in Nigeria. Exactly. So you know there just isn't a lot of inter-African trade. Like how many people from Cameroon come to Nigeria? We are neighbors, but we don't visit each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but we rather visit Dubai. Dubai, yeah. You know, so... There's nothing we can do about that. Like, I think all we can do is facilitate that link, make it so that a Cameroonian feels comfortable mm-hmm. coming to Nigeria because he knows he has a place to stay. Mm-hmm. You know, but, and I think that is going to be one of the drivers of uh, inter-African trade and inter-African cooperation. And I think it's, like, it's something that everybody should work to, to build so that the continent will develop. So with your primary audience, Nigerians in Nigeria, Nigerians or Africans, Oh, we are absolutely looking. We are absolutely Nigerian. Seventy percent of our bookings are Nigerians booking in Nigeria, and that is our audience. Like that's where we want to be strong. We don't even advertise anywhere outside of Nigeria now because we want to be. We are the default and de facto site for many Nigerians now, and we want to remain that way. We want all Nigerians to feel comfortable like booking on this site. That this site works really well for us in Nigeria. Okay, and when you do your international stuff as well, for Nigerians that are looking to book as well. So you book on your, ni- on your Nigerian site? Going to Dubai, going, yes, going exactly. to London, and going yeah. to those places. Does that mean you have to get people signing up those, those Absolutely. places? Absolutely, yeah. So we need across the whole of Africa, we are going to need people sending us, signing hotels, sending us the stuff and so on. It's going to be a busy year for you then. Absolutely. It's going to be busy. I'm really, I'm really looking forward to hearing more about that. I'm always waiting for you. I, I think I, I, you're one of those founders that is 
very dedicated and very strong in what you're doing, but also very, um, uh, I wouldn't want to use the word humble, because we, but very uh, down to earth and very relatable to a lot of founders, um, and that you, you, can, you can be down to earth with them. Mm-hmm. And I really enjoy that. Have you, been, have you started talking to people at Priceline or booking to, um, hotels.com or, hotel or booking.com? Is that for, for what? Partnership or acquisition? Would it be your best acquisition type? We're not, we're not on a pathway for acquisition. I don't think. You want to go public? I think that's the best thing. I think we can build a huge Pan Africa travel brand. That's interesting. You want to go public in Nigeria? I want to go public in NASDAQ or. Maybe South Africa. Like, I like the South African like, public markets. And not even outside Africa. You want to go public? I in mean, Africa. if it's possible, but the requirements there would be, I think, much much harder than the requirements. Yeah, and I see no reason why we should move the money outside of Africa. So you you're picking this to IPO. You're not you're not looking. For I don't anybody. I don't think it makes sense. I don't think it makes sense to be some small subsidiary of another company. I think that there is a good opportunity for us to really build a bigger uh, travel company. But if somebody uh, invites you for dinner in a hotel and gives you somebody from Priceline or somebody from Hotels.com. And give it a money that you, that you cannot ignore. I will not be able to ignore the money that comes from IPO either. No, no. If the person is just saying, I'm giving you the money now. That I'm writing you a check now for you so that you can be this for about one year and then go off. But I'm giving you... No, I, I, I prefer... You, you walk away from it. I think, I think we are... We have great traction now. Like our numbers are probably some of the best in the ecosystem now, and we we have taken a fraction of what uh, of funding that the big players have taken. Yeah, and we we are running a business with good unit economics that we have been able to fend off all competitors, and we continue growing. And I don't see why we can't just build a big company. It may take 10 years, may take 20, but why not? Like, we can build a big travel business, and we can fix a lot of issues in travel. If we give this up, then who's going to do it? Will these people do this with the same passion that we are? Not quite sure. You're a missionary. Well, I don't know. Yeah, Maybe. you're a missionary. You're, you're a mis- I think that's, that comes across a lot. You're a missionary, you're not a mercenary. You really, really believe in the space, and you really want to... Take it to the to, to the end. That's yeah. very good. Well, Mark, it's nice chatting to you. I really enjoy, genuinely enjoy chatting to you, and um, I'm going to have you again. Uh, we've got a few projects that you and I will be working on anyway, and we, I'm looking forward to hearing good good stuff about you. I will always be rooting for you. Thank okay. you very much for coming. All right, to thanks a lot for having me. You've been listening to Building the Future podcast by Dalton. These are the interviews with entrepreneurs that are playing a key part in shaping the African future. And you'll be able to hear all their stories. For more, sign up for the weekly newsletter at thestarter.com. Our revolution will be televised. Hey, everyone. Thanks so much for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed the show. Before you go, I have a favor to ask you. And it will take 30 seconds of your time or less. It will mean a lot to me. If you like this podcast, you can easily let me know by going into iTunes, Teacher, SoundCloud, or wherever you download podcasts and subscribe. You can also go to our website, thestarter.com. That is T-H-E-S-T-A-R-T-A.com and sign up for our newsletter. It will be a huge favor to me and it's really simple and easy. If you subscribe now, it will help us a lot. Thanks. Thanks.